This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, my friend, that is how you raise one hundred, two hundred, and seventy-four thousand U.S. dollars in a matter of what seven minutes? Yeah, it's incredible. You know, it, it doesn't quite come over the audio like it was in the room, but man, was that a powerful place to be! It just kept going like seven minutes, like you say, of bam, 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 everybody throwing money at it. It was it was pretty awesome to be a part of. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Talk is Sheep. Uh, we're joined by Crystal Chris from the Skeena region. Uh, for those of you that don't know where that is, that's the northwest part of British Columbia. Region 6, it's known as. Uh, she's the regional biologist up there. And uh, there's a dull sheep project that's being spearheaded. Uh, Crystal's the lead on that, working with the Yukon government. And um, we're studying dull sheep. And it's a cross-border project. Uh, in uh, conjunction with uh, the Carcross First Nations and uh, just a fantastic project. And what happened was Greg and I were just down at Chapter and Affiliate Summit in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And Greg, uh, give give the high level on on the fundraising that went on there. Well, our, the chair of the Wild Sheep Foundation, Glenn Landers there, he opened up, gave a little touch base on the Carcross project and then just put a call out to every chapter and affiliate that was in the room asking for funds, and everyone delivered. The chapters and affiliates delivered, individuals in the room delivered, and it just kept, the the counter kept going up, and we ended at $274,000 US, which funds the entire project and gives a little bit of extra to broaden the horizon of that project. So super cool. Um, Dull sheeps are severely understudied in British Columbia. And uh, uh, that was one of the things that uh, our project chair, Chris Barker, vice president of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, had re- reached out and to the uh, in Region 6, talked to Crystal and Bill Jex, the provincial wild sheep mountain goat specialist, and uh, approached them about doing a dull sheep project. And uh, this just multi-jurisdictional at its finest. So we've got BC involved, we've got Yukon involved, we've got uh, the Carcross First Nations, and then this is going to be fully funded by the Wild Sheep Foundation and its chapter and affiliate family uh, to the tune of $274,000. And it just shows the strength and power. It's interesting, Greg, you reached out to me this morning and said, hey, can I share that graphic or should we share that graphic from the Wild Sheep Foundation that talks about how much money gets spent back in BC here? And, you know, 
we've been questioned before. You know, we we sponsored a a, a stone sheep uh, replica uh, a sculpture at the Wild Sheep Foundation headquarters. It's got our plaque, which is great awareness, right? People come from all over the world to see the Wild Sheep Foundation. I think we contributed twenty five hundred dollars towards that back in the day. This was seven eight years ago. And it's got our logo on it. It's very cool. People see a stone sheep. They see our logo on it. We supported it. We got questioned on that. And rightfully so. Our members are donating their hard-earned money. They're supporting us. Uh, But the one thing about our chapter and affiliate network is sometimes we send money down south. We've supported projects. The Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn, we sent money down there for a water haul a couple of years ago. Um, Last year, we sent some money down to, um, um, was it Nebraska? Um, so there's there's support that we that money goes out, but then a project here in British Columbia sees two hundred seventy four thousand U S dollars come back, uh, support by the Wild Sheep Foundation family. So, you know, uh, Gray Thornton, President CEO of the Wild Sheep Foundation, talks about one tent, one campfire, and how we work together. Yes, ninety nine point nine percent of our money stays here in British Columbia that we raise that our members raise, and our mission is looking after BC's wild sheep. But there's a lot of collaboration that goes on, and sheep know no borders, right? Those sheep that are in the Yukon, they don't know, the, you know, where the BC border is. You know, the, the big horns that are down in the southeast corner of BC, they don't know what's Montana, they don't know what's Alberta, they don't know. So, you know, I, I love the concept; it's amazing and it's phenomenal the support we get as uh, in here in British Columbia. Uh, we're very, very, very privileged and, and lucky to get the support we do. Well, yeah, and that, you know, the graphic you spoke about, we shared it to social media and it just, it, it speaks volumes for the, the Wild Sheep Foundation, you know, 600, or sorry, 6,200,000, almost, almost 6.3 million they've sent back to us. And it's probably now after chapters and affiliates, 6.3 million that they've given us and no Midwest was hosting and that they're a big time supporter of ours, and you know they've given us over two hundred thousand US as well. And that like they shared that graphic, and many other chapters and affiliates have stepped up, and that money comes right back into BC. And that's why we don't don't shy away from sharing funds when called upon with the other chapters and affiliates, because when we need it, they've been there for us. And that's the one thing is you know it's important that we are there for each other because uh, you know there might be the die off, there might be you know, something that we can do collectively to support wild sheep. And we're going to be there for our brothers and sisters in other states and provinces. And it truly is one tent, one campfire. I really feel that it's the strength of the Wild Sheep Foundation family. Um, we're an affiliate of the Wild Sheep Foundation. We're independent, but we also still subscribe to um, working together for wild sheep across all borders. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it with that. What happened on uh, Saturday evening there, you might have been a draw for a, a, a rifle or some sort of raffle yeah. happened. Yeah, super cool. So, you know, we, we've got our six-gun super raffle. Thank you to our listeners our, and our supporters, all of you that have stepped up and contributed by buying tickets. And again, the, those funds support our mission. Uh, those go direct back onto the ground to support wild sheep conservation. That uh, $50,000 US dollars that we contributed to that doll sheep project, that comes from our gaming account. We write a check out of our gaming for those callers to support that project. So, you know, when you buy those raffle tickets, you get a really cool opportunity to win six very cool rifles. And yeah, you're right. We drew the early bird winner on Saturday night in uh, up in Comox. And uh, we gave away um, a about a $6,000 rifle um, to uh, a lucky winner in Kelowna and super cool. But there's still five more rifles to give away. We're still selling tickets. And um, and I'd absolutely be remiss if I didn't do a huge shout out to Precision Optics and our industry partners that have made this possible. So $54,000 in prizes, fully donated. Ladies and gentlemen, fully donated. This is a um, an unbelievable donation. And uh, our goal is to raise, um, we'd love to raise $225,000 and that money will support our conservation initiatives. And we're over halfway there. Thanks you to the incredible support of our members and those that want a, ch- a chance at some wicked rifles, six 
crazy rifles. And there's still five left. So if you think, oh, I missed the early bird. Yeah, you missed the early bird. But there's still almost 50 grand worth of prizes to be won. So don't give up yet. We're drawing those September 9th here in Victoria. Um, we're hoping to put together a pub night, get together, have some uh, beverages, tell some sheep stories. Um, some of you will be back from the mountains by then, and we can talk about uh, talk about our fall, and we'll give away five really cool rifles. That sounds like a good way to end sheep season, giving away a few rifles. Yeah, just five. We're just going to give five away. But the thing is, is they're yeah, they're premium firearms, man. Like Gunworks is the number one rifle. We got a is it a six five PRC um, climber? I think it is. It's it, yeah. that's the grand prize. It's unbelievable. I I, I can't even tell you the details because there's so many rifles and so many. <laughs> it's you start spinning. Uh, but again. Precision Optics stepping up to the plate. They put this package together for us, uh, obviously with the support of a number of manufacturers and uh, optics uh, companies as well, doing their part. But phenomenal. So perfect, perfect time to end. I think let's roll into this one with Crystal Chris. Awesome, brother. Enjoy. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Stone Glacier. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Stone Glacier. For investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Awesome, Crystal. Well, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. Uh, looks like you're in a pretty official place. I'm guessing that's the government uh, office in, is that in Smithers or where you at? You bet. I'm actually sitting in Conrad's office. I have a cube and it uh, doesn't, you know, wade well for, for these kind of calls. So yeah, in the closed door in Conrad's office at work. Yeah. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing the heavy lifting there in Region 6, so if it was up to me, you'd have the big office and everybody else would be in the queue. But anyway, I'm not going to get into the office politics <laughs> on that one. Uh, so how's things going with you today? Really good, yeah. Things are, are really busy um, work-wise and, and personal life-wise, So, but everything's great. So, yeah. Right on. So anyway, we're really excited to have you on the podcast. And uh, so for our listeners, uh, let's just kind of do a high level 25,000 feet who's Crystal Chris and kind of background who brought you uh, how you got here and let's talk about that a little bit yeah you bet uh, well yeah you said my name's Crystal Chris so I've, I've been working as a regional wildlife biologist in the Skeena region since 2012 um, yeah I kind of started out when I first came here uh, supporting the mountain goat file and then when I guess my mentor and colleague Bill Jack stepped into his provincial role that kind of left the sheep file um, gap so I've uh, yeah, since he stepped into that provincial role, I've taken over both the sheep and goat file. Um, so that's been awesome. Kind of a, a dream of mine. So it's great. Um, I guess a bit more background about myself. I, I grew up in Fort Nelson, which is a pretty, you know, outdoor orientated northern community. Um, although I would say like my immediate family weren't really into the outdoors or hunting or anything like that. Um, yeah, growing up there, I think, you know, to be totally honest, I, I felt pretty lost my whole life until I got my driver's license and could start accessing those northern Rockies and hiking. And, you know, I remember um, thinking back to one of my first backpacking trips. I was 18, fresh out of uh, graduating high school and um, did the walk past trail with a girlfriend. And I remember seeing, a, you know, a deadhead realm and kind of, I think that was the start of it. It kind of inspired a curiosity, you know, and um, eventually led me to my studies, my my uh, undergrad and master's uh, research on with uh, wildlife. And uh, that kind of brought me to, to where I am here a bit. Yeah. Very cool. So you grew up in a, your family wasn't hunters. They weren't right. uh, much into the outdoors sort of side, side of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I always uh, kind of had an interest, just didn't, uh, didn't have the opportunity growing up, kind of always wondered how I could get the opportunity, you know, reached out to a few of like uncles and things like that, that I knew that hunted. But I mean, I appreciate that they, they, they had their trips planned, didn't want to take the time to get me out at that point. But uh, I will say, you know, I always had the interest uh, through my work, uh, you know, I've been so lucky to have make some tremendous friends and mentors um, that actually did take me out and, uh, you know, um, so thankful for them. I've, I've now been lucky enough to, uh, to harvest a few animals, um, you know, including uh, the last one was an 11 year old stones with, uh, with my husband down by my side and really good friend Craig. And, you know, that's just a, a lifelong dream. So, yeah. Um, I would say, that's more, really... oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Awesome. Please. I was just going to say, I've taken a little bit of a hiatus. I, you know, I had an injury from a car accident and then two kids. So that phase of life doesn't really allow for a lot of mountain time, but I'm still really hungry for it and, and looking forward to getting back in the hills. Um, 
and then, uh, yeah, I guess it's just going to look a little different now that I'm the sheep lead for Skeeta. I, uh, you know, I personally wouldn't be comfortable hunting in this area. So I'll, I'll be looking to go probably to the peace region. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So that's such a cool perspective. And, you know, we see a lot of uh, people that we deal with in government now that you know, maybe don't have the connection to wildlife that you do. And quite often they don't hunt and um, it doesn't mean that they don't care about wildlife. They're just not as, I, I guess, and certainly as a consumptive user, we don't see a lot of that. So I'm curious with your, your journey, did you did you get, obviously had the interest in the outdoors, but did you get into the hunting first or was it through your work in the field and then it evolved talk about that process there for us yeah no for sure um i guess you know through uh through university so my undergrad university that was kind of you know you're becoming an adult stepping out of the world so i I took my core and my pal and i tried to just meet individuals so started out with just you know the gross hunting kind of through that and um wanted to pursue my interest so i just started to try once i i ended up landing this this position um got here and you know like there's just tremendous people like my my co-workers uh bill jackson conrad i was able to get it with them and i think just that helps to build confidence and so you kind of go you know from thinking you can only gross hunt to then all of a sudden you you know you harvested a black bear and then all of a sudden well i just went on a mountain goat hunt and harvested a goat and so it's just uh tremendous opportunity. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, my husband, obviously, um, he's a, you know, a huge avid uh, fisherman and, and a hunter. So we kind of share that passion now. And so we just help build that into our family. And, you know, even last year, you know, my daughter, uh, she's now 18 months and my son's now four. So this is last year, they were even littler. We, we had them out and we, you know, my, my husband shot a deer and we, had to deal with all that all together. And, uh, and then my son actually helped, you know, ground all, all of the meat um, up from that. And so it's just, it's, it's incredible to get them involved. And um, after that, I, I remember we were down South at uh, Dan's folks house, they live in White Rock and, you know, we're having a chicken dinner and, you know, my son asks Grammy, like, Grammy, did you kill this chicken? And, you know, uh, like it was bought from the store, but I love that he realizes that meat comes from, from a life, you know? So, Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. I wish more of our kids were exposed to that. Yeah. And, and does so? Does your your son does he like wild meat or prefer that to to domestic meat or how does that work? Yeah, I would say his favorite uh, is like Chinook salmon. You know, saltwater salmon. Wow. You can't complain about that. And then um and and the deer. You know, it, it's really good. So he often says like, "Oh, we're we gonna have deer sauce for dinner." And yeah, we're gonna have deer sauce tonight. And yeah, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we're going to jump into your stone sheep hunt because we have to talk, this is talk of sheep. So we have to talk about that. But before we do, let's, let's talk business. So, uh, interesting enough tonight. Um, well, first of all, we, we got to meet you, uh, I guess, officially, we, we'd known you a little bit prior to, but, uh, the summit in Prince George was kind of our first opportunity to connect and really get to know you a little bit better. Um, and then, and I think you were off on maternity leave, uh, right prior to that. Is that correct? Yep. That's uh, right. Crystal or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then also, uh, we've, uh, recently been working on a new project with you and we we're going to do this podcast tonight, but we've moved it up so that you could make that project call tonight. So, um, maybe just talk a little bit about the high level stuff in region six kind of things that you're working on. And then I want to talk about that project that we're working with you on. Cause it's pretty inspiring that we're really excited about it. So, yeah, you bet. So, I mean, high level, we've actually got a tremendous amount of sheep work going on in, in the region and, um, the, this winter is going to be very busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, various projects. So one thing that I would kind of caveat is like, um, you know, the province uh, has a really strong commitment to reconciliation with First Nations. And so we're starting to do more work with the nations, which is fantastic. Um, and so one of those projects is working collaboratively with the Taku River Tlingit. So we've, we've got like a research project kind of going on in Atlan East um, on there. And so um, basically looking to, to identify migration um, patterns uh, just to, to figure out if, you know, they're, they're, they were talking about essentially raising a dam water. So just wanting to make sure that that wouldn't impede um, the migration route. So that's that's one thing going on. Um, we've got some inventories uh, about to happen. You know, next week, um, myself, I guess two weeks from now, myself and Bill Jax are heading up to Spatsy to uh, to do an inventory. Um, at the same time as that, my other co-worker, uh, Samantha, she's going to be uh, serving at Ziza uh, and then uh, for goats as well in the Stikin Canyon and uh, kind of the Stikin East, so north of the Spatsy towards the, the Pittman Range. So we're starting to get some of those gaps filled, which is fantastic. Um yeah, the other big project that's kind of kicking off, um, which is, you know, largely thankful, uh, I guess I should say thanks to, uh, 
you know, a, a donor, the guide outfitter donated a hunt at uh, the, the sheep um, show down in Reno. Tremendous. Uh, that The funds from that essentially are allowing us to do a research project in Spatsyzy. So 40 callers are expected to go out this winter. Um, we'll determine the actual caller numbers once we get that updated uh, inventory done. So lots of research, lots lots of baseline health sampling going on. And, and then that leads us to the car cross project as well. That's uh, That's just kicking off. Very cool. So a little bit high level again, why so much sheep work? Is this just something that's been kind of in the works? Um, and I've always been curious about region, you know, is it the regional manager that's setting those goals for the region and what they're going to work on? Or is it kind of how do, who dictates that um, from a management perspective, Crystal? You know, I think it's always been pretty important. Like, you know, Bill Jacks led uh, the goat and sheep file. I came on in 2012, took over the goat file, now down lead both. It's always been really important. I think the issue is, is, you know, you only have so much capacity and there's been so much work done with moose and caribou. Um, and then just as we build capacity, we have, you know, I guess a few more permanent staff now. Um, and then the other thing is, is our, our nations, like our northern nations, like sheep are very uh, culturally significant to them. And so um, through building that relationship and working more with nations, it's uh, become identified as a kind of a shared priority. So with that just comes more funding opportunity and more capacity to actually do some of the work together. So, yeah. So is that, would you say that's kind of driving some of the stuff going on now? I know too, you know, you talked about the funding that came in through the Wild Sheep Foundation, one of the guide outfitters that donated yeah. um, the uh, stone sheep hunt. I think that was Mike Gilson, right? That's if I'm not correct. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that, I think that's the highest grossing stone sheep that's ever sold, stone sheep hunt that's ever sold at auction. It was 135,000 US or something? Yeah. Some, some, I can't remember the yeah. amount, but it was incredible. And then we had an anonymous donation right. on top of that. So it's like, wow. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. So, um, so is that is, is that kind of driving some of this stuff now, like because there's money there and people are showing up with money for projects and driving things? Um, is that part of what's happening? You know, that, that's probably part of it. The other part of it, too, is some of the, the recent genetic work that's come out, you know, um, Sim, Sim and others um, that kind of determine that essentially the world population of stone sheep exists within BC. You know, there's kind of 100 in the Yukon uh, span there, but that, you know, that that brings like a global responsibility for uh, for really sound management. And on top of that, you know, with the work with the nations, you know, we have a constitutionally driven, you know, mandate to, to ensure that we we manage those uh, effectively. So so I think there's just all those things are starting to come together um, at, at the, creating the perfect storm where we're now we're just we're working together with, you know, non-government organizations, the Wild Sheep Foundation, Wild Sheep Society, BC, um, guide outfitters like the Tall Tan Nation, the Tacker River Tlingit, just, and then recognizing this global responsibility. It's just all colliding to allow um, all this work to happen. And also I would say management support, you know, like I've kind of briefed my management on all these projects and they're giving me the thumbs up, which is awesome. And so we'll just keep, keep going and try to get all this work and fill all these gaps that we can to, you know, to ensure that we have wild sheep, populations thriving. Yeah. Well, there's two things that are really exciting for me. And one is when I see a regional manager that's really, uh, you know, pursuing the stuff that we're interested in. And, and you know, I, we know there's limited resources, limited mm-hmm. money. And so we, we see someone like you or we work with Chris Proctor in Region mm-hmm. uh, 3, for example, and we're just really moving the needle for wild sheep. It's really, really inspiring to see that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's neat to see that there's uh, you know, a priority on, on wild sheep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the the other thing that I, I think is interesting too is, you know, there's, I guess some, there tends to be some angst around reconciliation. I hear that uh, occasionally from people that, you know, the sort of what does the new normal look like? But that's the one cool thing right now is we're seeing First Nations driving these projects is really exciting. So, you know, there's some really, really positive things coming out of this mm-hmm. that we're seeing. We're having nations approach approach us and saying hey we want to do this project and obviously you guys too so it's really inspiring from that perspective Mm -hmm. absolutely and i I get it you know i I find change scary and i'm a resident hunter as well right so it's like oh what opportunities are going to be around but i I mean the beauty thing is is i think we all have the same objectives and sometimes focusing on those shared objectives yeah it's incredible when you get a group like just a bunch of folks together working together it's and yeah that kind of brings a good skagway into the car cross project. Like it's incredible when you get these multi-jurisdictions working together. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, um, I guess from a, um, 
uh, Wild Sheep Study BC perspective, Greg and I can just fill in a little bit of the gaps. Actually, why don't you talk about the project and then we'll talk about the funding end of things, but talk about this, um, uh, you know, the evolution of it. I think Chris maybe reached out to you and and, and started the dialogue on the project itself. Yeah. Um, talk about the evolution of the project and what's involved, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess very early conversations, uh, like I, you said, started with Chris, uh, the Wild Sheep Society of BC and, and Bill Jacks, kind of they then looped myself in as, as the regional sheep lead, as well as Kyle Russell uh, in the Yukon. So he's currently the acting sheep and goat uh, specialist while their permanent uh, sheep and goat lady is, is on maternity leave at the moment. Um, so we started having some, you know, planning calls. Um, but the first major thing, uh, you know, speaking of, of First Nations was we wanted to ensure that we had support from the overlapping nations, which would be the Carcross Tagish First Nations. So um, I presented to their land management board and, uh, you know, we were just hopeful that we'd have their support and we ended up getting that support. And, and then that kind of um, led into, yeah, I guess, led into the project. And, you know, if we kind of actually step back, going back to the, the Sheep Summit as well, um, back in November in Prince George there, one of the things that came out of there from the Skeena Breakout Group was, you know, recognizing the need for herd planning. So, you know, when you consider we currently have 25 herds that, uh, how we define them at this point um, in Skeena region. So it's like, wow, where, where do we start for a project? And so, um, you know, I, I guess I should also say at the same time, it, in the area of 628, we've unfortunately had to reduce some of the licensed harvesting opportunity. Um, and that's just because we, we received information on, um, you know, some higher uh, traditional harvest um, occurring by, by uh, the nation there, or potential harvesting. So we just wanted to take a conservative approach. And so now, uh, you know, recognizing that, okay, we want to do herd planning. We've got this area where we've, you know, had to reduce license harvest opportunity. We know that these sheep in this area are transboundary. Um, why don't we do a research project together and all work together? And then we get the information, we get those knowledge gaps, and then we can have like, we, we can work on that herd planning, get that, you know, the kind of the share, the shared visions and goals, um, and then plan accordingly all together. So yeah, that's kind of like the high level evolution of where we're at uh, now with it all. So, yeah. So, Crystal, it seems like they're, I, I, this is the wrong word, but it seems like those northern dull sheep get a little bit neglected, right? It doesn't seem to be a lot of activity around projects in that area. I think of, you know, stone sheep projects in 6, 7B, 7A. Um, and, and that's something front of mind for us, too. Or like, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't apply for any Wild Sheep Foundation funding for anything in six actually last year and it was front of mind we were looking for a good project trying to work with bill um you'd been off so we hadn't had a great dialogue there so it's really inspiring now have you guys done much in in six with dull sheep work at all in that northwest corner uh apart from inventory um you know i guess just before i went on mat leave so this would have been july 2021 we we inventoried the tatanchini so all of 629 for goat and sheep um, and just a small portion of 628, but we ran into weather there. So last year when I was off, my, my colleague, uh, Samantha, was able to get out with uh, Mike Bridger as well um, and get out. And they, uh, they inventoried 628 and then part of 627 as well, the 620, 627A um, LEH zone. Um, so apart from inventory and uh, that, that's it, you know, we've taken a couple uh, swabs, you know, during the compulsory inspection process, but um, that's it. So we have a big gap. So, Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's the cool part about this. I'm excited about, it. and I also think you know we've done so many Kelly projects and so many Bighorn uh, Rocky projects and so many Stone projects. There were just not much for dolls. So, um, w from a historical perspective, have you guys seen much fluctuation in inventory, or has it been pretty consistent? You know, so my my colleague is just uh, wrapping up that report from the 628 survey, which happened, but uh, we kind of just sat down actually and had a meeting last week, and and so I I can't remember numbers specifically, but essentially. Um, there was an inventory done in 2015, so we were able to get out in July 2022. We're looking at that we have about the same estimate, so um, you know that that report should be done imminently. So we'll be able to share that out with the exact numbers. I just can't recall off the top of my head. For 629, um, unfortunately, we did actually detect a bit of a decline um, in in the uh, in the population. So you know we've had to adjust. Um, I guess the license harvesting based on that updated population, but a good news story is mountain goats were uh, were in abundance in the park. So we we saw three times what we had seen previously. So that's a that's a good news story. Um, yeah. So there's more work to be done in Tatanchini, I think. Um, you know that might be a a next step too as well after this uh, this car cross project. So mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Now, from a perspective of uh, doll sheep 
range, I guess. 28 and 29 are, are dull. Is 27 as well, or is that Fannin? Uh, so that, yeah. So I guess technically we're now calling dull sheep. Uh, basically that Atlin, like the Snowden range, essentially east. So just east of Atlin, you know, if you kind of go um, McDonald, like area kind of out of Atlin, if you know the area at all, they're, they're basically west we do consider dolls, even though technically they might have historically been referred to fanons. You, you know, you do have those darker colored dolls, but genetically we are considering those, uh, those doll sheep in our estimates. Now um, the true dolls, I guess uh, have always, you know, not that they're not true dolls, but how it's been managed has been 628 and 629. But now we're recognizing that that boundary has actually expanded. Okay, cool. And uh, with regards to authorizations in 28, so uh, historically, I think there was around 30 or something in in that range, give or take. And then was it one last year? or I? I and what is it this year? I didn't get to it's, see that. Uh, it's one again as well this year. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with some inventory work and, and, and stuff, do we see any chance of that going and, and sort of, um, you know, I, I guess this cross-border project, is that going to give us any data that would support, you know, sort of harvest levels and that sort of thing? I hope so. And, and like I kind of alluded to, uh, the, uh, part of the, the, the reason why we had to reduce that is it's not so much a population uh, estimate at this point. It's just that we, we did um, get uh, basically information that the, the traditional harvest was a lot higher than we had previously accounted for. And so we're kind of in, in this sort of new world where we're trying to incorporate those values. And so the, the decision was made to take that value and that ultimately de- decrease the authorizations. Um, so we, we are, you know, we're kind of working um, on that to get more information on that. And I think that this project is going to really help, um, yeah, provide if, information uh, to have that conversation in, in detail. So with regards to that, are you guys out actively working with the nation and, and try and solicit data from them? And obviously, you know, they, they have the right to protect their data. They don't necessarily have to share that. So do you guys go and look for that and try and work with the nation or how does that, what sort of process goes on there? Yeah, you bet. And, and so this is kind of like, this is sort of one of the first rounds that we've been through it. So I, I guess we've been kind of managed on a five-year allocation period. So pre-2017, you know, the questions weren't really asked. Um, it, it was incorporated. So now, now as government is kind of shifting its focus on reconciliation, uh, there's a, there, you know, there, there is a, that higher level um, of kind of going over all of the uh, consultation for those five year periods. So we are absolutely working, um, and we, you know, we have a couple more meetings coming up uh, shortly and trying to get get all that information. So it's kind of uh, it, it. We're in this. We're just in an evolution right now. So. I guess stay tuned. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Now I'm curious, uh, one of the things that I've seen a little bit of is, you know, part of the problem with reconciliation is a loss of trust, right? Is particularly First Nations trust around uh, government. And uh, so one thing I hear quite often is like, we, you know, why would we share our data with you? And I've actually been on Zoom calls where uh, one of the nations said that they'd shared some data with them and then it showed up in a sporting goods store in Vancouver. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's accurate or not. I, I have no idea. Maybe it was, you know, anecdotal or, or whatever. But um, are you finding, you know, is building that trust is a, a challenging thing or, or is there a lot of trust? Is there, and I know it's different from nation to nation and community to community, but, but what's your experience with that, Crystal? Yeah, I would say it's nation to nation, absolutely. But I think, you know, real real relationships go a long ways. And and I would say the same would go for, you know, resident hunters. If you're traveling up, like reach out, stop in, you know, drop a case of peaches off if you're going through, um, you know, through the Okanagan. It's just, you know, you I, I think ultimately we all want to get to a shared kind of landscape. And so it's just... It's just getting there. Um, but I would say, you know, like a I, I, couple of years there, I actually lived in Dees Lake. And I mean, that was one of the best times of my life. And in many ways, I got the opportunity to really get to know um, some individuals, you know, more, I guess, on, on a face to face level. And I, I think just time, you know, time and showing up. And, you know, my motto is like, I will always tell you the truth. You might not like what I have to say. And, and that might go both ways. But like, I will show up and I will always tell the truth the best that I know it to be you know? So I think we're getting there. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about this, um, car cross, uh, first nations and, um, 
Yeah, I'm going to butcher the name. I'll let you talk about it. But let's talk about that project, this one that we're, the society's been involved in now. Pretty excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, high level, you know, we're kind of uh, looking to, to hopefully get 30 callers out. Um, we haven't ordered them yet. We're just still getting quotes and all that. But the plan is to deploy those in either like kind of February, March, so 2024 timing. Um, you know, that, that study, essentially, it's going to help us build like... Um, Oh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. But so so essentially, we're going to be putting out callers on uh, both both use and uh, rams, probably those those two to three year, um, we're still kind of having conversation if we would include a subset of, of class four rams as well, which would be those full mature full curl. Um, so that's a data gap that's missing, you know, the Yukon has had some callers out on some doll sheep, but they've all been on use. So there's, there's kind of a big, big gap that we all have that we want to know. Um, and you know, that includes mortality, that includes, um, just potential migration routes. Um, so part of that, it, we're going to be, um, hopefully interviewing some of the elders with the car cross Tagish first nation, um, identifying kind of some of that historic, um, home range use. And then we can see if there's been any changes over time. Um, and then, um, you know, the other aspect of it is, is the, the health, um, sampling, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Crystal, with that, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I've people ask me often is like, okay, you're doing all this study. Totally. What, what's, what, what is that data? What's it going to be good for? So sort of what's our next step? So this is a three-year project, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What would our next steps be from that? Um, And I know it's contingent on the data, but, but where do you see it's going from there after that? Absolutely. Well, like I mentioned about that herd planning. So, so supporting that conversation, you know, so do we have sheep that are, only in BC, only in Yukon, are they actually true transboundary, like migrating between? So that's just going to help with, uh, you know, just ensuring the best management that we could possibly have for that area. Um, there's a whole bunch of different things that are going to come from it as well. You know, we'll, we'll develop an understanding of, uh, you know, natural predation, um, predator activities. Um, we can monitor and identify potential human caused impacts. Um, part of, you know, putting callers on those class two to three rams as they come up and, into that that cohort of following that through is some of those will probably become full curl rams and if if they do get harvested it starts to we just get that full picture to know like um it, you know is it compensatory mortality is it additive mortality um in some of those areas i will say that you know we have seen an increase um in the number of rams under the age of eight and so that's kind of one of the metrics that we use to to consider if population is okay in the absence of population inventory when you have both you can kind of start to get a full picture of uh of incorporating that harvest um but then you know working to, together with the, the you know the western science i guess and the traditional ecological knowledge to build um not only that historic range use but that current range use um it just starts to give us that whole picture so yeah uh, in, in your experience, have you, do you feel that, um, you know, kind of the 628, are kind of at their carrying capacity? Is there the ability to be more sheep there? Um, you know, I'm just curious on, on what the feeling is there. Is there an opportunity to grow more sheep? Yeah. I mean, I, I, like you look at Tat and Cheney, you know, we are, we are down, um, you know, part of it might, you know, that this past year when I was out collaring sheep out of Atlin, I, you know what? We had been in the area two years previous. And so, you know, just, just when you're flying around looking, I'm like, oh, this is a much milder winter. Like, this is going to be better for sheep. And and then you get on the ground when you're actually calling them, you're like, whew, that's some thick ice. And, you know, it wasn't really visible the way it's been visible in other areas. So you run into those sort of habitat limitations where, you know, it might just be a seasonal limitation. And, and so it's, yeah. So I, I suspect that if there's no stochastic events, <laughs> like, and, you know, the icing events don't continue that, yeah, absolutely. There's probably room for an increase um, in sheep in the area. Um, and that's part of hopefully what we can dive into in a, in a really deep uh, level with, with this study, as well as the herd planning. For 628, you know, it's pretty rugged. There's, there, there are some complexes there where you just don't have a lot of sheep. It's, there's a, quite a few areas that are quite goaty, I would say, not, not so much sheep habitat. So, um, yeah, that one I don't, I haven't spent enough time there um, to, to really know, but. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Now for 629 and you said the numbers are down. Yeah. It, would you say your kind of gut feeling is climate change, ice events, that sort of thing is, is like, and again, I know that's not hard to say, but that 
that's probably the indicator that's the issue? Yeah, I mean, that certainly is it. And then, you know, you, you look kind of to the adjacent jurisdictions like, uh, like Kluwani there and then heading up into Alaska and certainly some of those um, adjacent areas, they're experiencing declines as well. Um, you know, in Tatanchini, there's there's really only a few complexes that they kind of reside on. And, you know, there are things to consider like winter activity, like there is a snowmobile trail that um, it, kind of in the area, as well as there's that kind of that pack raft trail um, that, that goes through there. So, you know, I'm hoping, like, for example, the Spazzisi project, where we're essentially going to be looking at hunter and recreational density and how that may influence, uh, like, range use. So we can learn things from there that might actually be applicable as well for uh, for Tatanchini, and, and that might identify a gap that maybe we want to put some callers out in Tatanchini to help to see, like, why, you know, what, what's going on, get the baseline health, because it might be different. Um, but certainly there's some sort of similar similar things that I think we're going to be able to tease out to support better management. Um Another thing that I will mention is, unfortunately, it, you know, it's kind of you get one of those hunts, you get a hunt draw there and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got 629. I'm never going to get it again. I got to make this count. So people are spending a lot of time out there. And unfortunately, some folks have made some, you know, poor calls. So we're seeing those illegal, illegal rams, kind of a higher proportion there than elsewhere. Um, and those less than eight year olds. So that uh, that certainly can start to have, you know, a trickle down effect. So um yeah, just actually wrapped up the the report from that. I, I'm embarrassed it took so long. I went off on mat leave and it kind of fell through the cracks, but I just passed that off to the Champagne Ajac First Nations. Uh, they, they were partners with that as well on that survey. Um, and so just waiting for feedback on that, but that will be another um, survey report that will be done. And, and at that kind of says, okay, we got to have some management conversations. So, yeah. Do you envision, does that publicly shared once they get the sign off from from the First Nations, then is it going to come to us? You bet. Absolutely. I'll share the reports out. Yeah, both the 628 and the Tatanchini as soon as they're done. So like, I'm sure you can appreciate, we can't share the point location, but the the summaries are absolutely the reports. And then, you know, it's good to carry on the conversation. I'll be looking and, and I would open up like, you know, my send me an email, give me a phone call. This goes out to anybody. Like if you have suggestions or, you know, like we're um, in these areas on creative management solutions, by all means, I'm all yours, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, okay. Should we talk? What else do we want to talk about? Greg, are we going to hit on any other sheep stuff right now? Yeah. I was just, uh, when you guys are going in health sampling, uh, is there any specifics you're looking for? Yeah, there's a, there's like a whole array of things. Um, so our, uh, we, we have like a wildlife health department, um, that operates out of, uh, Nanaimo there and they're, they're amazing. They send us, uh, they have like protocols basically that they've developed for each species so they have protocols they have directions and then they send a sampling kit so it's it's foolproof <laughs> but but essentially we're doing um everything from taking blood to you know test for pregnancy and use we're we're taking a biopsy for genetics we're taking a hide sample which can also be used for genetics or cortisol we're taking pellets same thing um and we're taking tonsil swabs nasal swabs so the main thing we're basically looking for usually is respiratory diseases so the big one being mycoplasma ova pneumoniae um other ones you know toxoplasma um things like that you know we're, we're doing a whole suite and then um also like parasite toxicology things like that there's a there's a whole array of things that we do so you know when you're yeah when you're dealing with adults uh is there any disease concern at the moment or is it just the health sampling just so you know yeah just so we know so like you know um there there has been some amovi in in alaska reported so we we certainly want to detect if there's any of that um you know uh just it, it helps us to know their vulnerability for mortality um yeah all right awesome thank you yeah, no worries so with the capture Crystal, is it going to be both sides of the border, or and if if it's if you can't get any details, that's uh, that's cool too. But just wondering where where you guys will be capturing. Totally, yeah. So um, I haven't been able to to connect with Yukon. We're going to be having some planning meetings in in the short order there, just in the field. Then I head to the field, and we're hoping to. I'm actually have a call on Thursday with the the wildlife veterinarian in the Yukon. So we're going to have just a preliminary meeting with her, hoping to meet with the rest of uh, like Kyle Russell and and her and um, Jaylene Roots as well. She's involved in the project as a Yukon biologist um to kind of do the planning but hoping to focus around the border you know a bit on each kind of and then also if the car cross tagish have identified any important areas once uh once we, we sit down and chat with them a bit more as well uh, but mainly focusing on that cross boundary area yeah 
cool. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, I, you know, some some nations are very advanced. They have, uh, you know, a whole team of mm-hmm. uh, dedicated professionals. Uh, is Tagish Carcross in that same sort of boat? Are they pretty advanced, or where do they sit in terms yeah. of? being able to, to support you guys. Yeah, absolutely. They have a pretty small, um, I guess, a small office there, um, but they, ha- they have like a tremendous lands department. So they've got, you know, cultural heritage managers, they've got lands coordinators, they have a few uh, land guardians as well, both full-time um, and, you know, I think auxiliary that come on, um, I-, I believe. But but yeah, so there's a there's probably a four, four individuals that can probably be involved. Um, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. All right, let's take a break and talk a little bit about sheep hunting. So, um, so you you talked about your first few hunts, and you talked about shooting a bear and being on the deer hunt. But I got to see your during the summit. I seen your stone sheep, and it was absolutely a beautiful ram. Yeah. And it was on the middle of like on a massive peak in the middle of uh, obviously stone sheep terrain. So let's hear a little bit about that story and and sort of you know was it it I guess maybe. You know, where did this vision of going on a sheep hunt come from? Was it like as a young girl when you first kind of went out or or is it sort of evolved as you got into the hunt space? Yeah, uh, well, I think when, you know, like I say, when I was 18 and I was on the walk past trail and finding that ram head, I was like, huh, okay. So that's kind of, I think, where it first started. Um, I think I just, it seems so unattainable, to be totally honest. Like, how do you get into that? It seems so elite. And then, you know, and then I, I guess I just slowly built the confidence and decided I, I want a mountain hunt. Like that's what I want to do. And so I started with a goat hunt and, um, you know, put in a few trips for that and thankfully was successful. And that was the hardest hunt of my entire life. If I'm completely honest, I, I questioned if I even liked it <laughs> when we were packing that goat out, it was just insanely like this, <laughs> but it was a good experience. Um, and then I just, yeah, I, I really wanted to, uh, I just really wanted to sheep hunt, to be honest. So I kind of actually had plans to go out one year and um, I decided that I thought it would be cool to take horse riding lessons and fell off and I couldn't walk. So I had to miss my very first sheep hunt. And so that was pretty heartbreaking. Um, but then just kind of kept trying. Um, yeah, went out for a couple more trips uh, unsuccessfully, saw lots of sheep, uh, even actually had the opportunity to glass other people, you know, kind of across different hills, take sheep. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and then I guess the summer I got my sheep, I actually went out preseason I, on a, on a ladies only hunt. Um, you know, so we went and did this trip together. So we were out there, we went in a couple of days early, uh, saw some sheep, nothing legal. And, and so it was time to leave there. And I happened to, to come out and my husband and uh good friend Craig were, were heading in on their hunt. And I think they were excited that I was so keen and they're like, well, why don't you just come on our hunt? And I was like, well, I don't want to crash it, but they were insistent. So, um, so went out with them and we, we yeah, we, it was a pretty good grunt, uh, you know, it was probably about when we figured it out, it was about probably 50 kilometer hike off the highway. So it was, it was a good trek and, um, yeah, kind of, I think it was day three or something like that. You know, the smoke blew in, there was big fires that year and I was like, oh, we might as well just hike out. There's a game over. You can't see anything. And it was kind of heartbreaking, but then waited it out the next day. I think we woke up at like three thirty in the morning. We got into the spot we wanted to, and then then you know we, we kind of got saw saw some sheep coming up over the horizon. It's like oh okay, so we you know we got we tucked into these rocks and just watched this kind of go off, and everyone kept getting bigger and bigger, and then but then it kind of stopped, and it, you know it, it wasn't one that was a shooter, so it was like okay, well that that's okay, but it was incredible just to watch them. They they kind of surrounded all around us. They were eating you know the grass, and oh just what an experience. And then. Uh, they kind of moved on, went up the mountain, kind of kept going on. And then we kind of just car- carried trailing on a little bit more and just poked our nose over, uh, over the spot. And then, Oh, there were, there were the, the big boys. They were all hanging out together. So then the question became, okay, who, you know, like, do we do a double header? How far back are we? That kind of conversation started happening. And the boys were insistent that it was, it was my shot. Um, it had been a spot that I had been, you know, in a couple couple trips previously and I you know I had shared some information from my with them from from my boots on the ground there and so they they were adamant that I took the shot so it the way it was bedded down kind of just wasn't super ideal so just got in position and just stayed steady you know until till it stood up uh, kind of after scanning you know there there was multiple ones that would have been legal in that group but I had my eyes set on this one so um just kind of waited and everything in me sort of started to fall asleep as you're like in this awkward position on this rock. And then it stood up and took the shot. And, and that was that it was, Oh, 
what an experience. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So did uh, Dan or uh, Craig, they, they didn't want to try and get another one or? There was, guys... there was a conversation like, and then we thought, oh, we're way too far back. So ended up passing right. on that. Then the, the group went and funny enough, actually on our hike out, like, so we were one day in and uh, so if that makes sense. So one day closer to, to where the truck was parked, um, there was another one, you know, and Craig and I were Oh, we just wanted a second look. It was, it, it wasn't super obvious. It's like, that would be, um, we're, we're both regional biologists and I just, that would be very awkward to, uh, <laughs> oops, <laughs> didn't want to do that. But, uh, you know, it was one of those things, like if we would have had another two seconds, it, it, we could have, we would have made the decision probably too. Um, right. but, uh, but we'll let that one, that one went as well. So yeah, we, we all happily, I guess, shared the, the Ram, uh, cared a third out each and it was, it was pleasant. It was doable. <laughs> so it was good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way yeah. to do it for sure. Yeah. Uh, has your husband, was he successful on the sheep hunt prior to going out with you guys? Not yet. Uh, still holding out for him. So okay. I'm, uh, like I say, I'm, I, I just love the country. I love purposely wandering. Like we've done a couple like camera trips, like preseason, you know, like our first date was like a five day sheep camera trip. We just went up and taught again and yeah, hiked around and watched and glassed, you know, it was incredible. So I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out. I don't need to be the one to pull the trigger. I'm just super happy to be there with people. So fingers crossed we'll, uh, we'll get him one. So, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, it's pretty uh, kind of him to, to let you take the shot too. I know. I still feel yeah. humbled. It's not my sheep. It's our sheep. That's what I say. But yeah, I was just the one to pull the trigger, but we worked hard and worked well as a team. So yeah. Cool. And got Any idea how much you're Pa- yeah, 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 that's always a yeah. good thing. Do you know what did your pack weight coming out? Would you would you guess? I'm guessing it was probably eighty ish. Like it, it wasn't wow. too bad. Uh, uh, actually, like uh, I think it was a week or two later, my husband and I were on a caribou hunt and we got a caribou and whew, I thought uh, I was humbled. I thought for sure I could pack the <laughs> caribou off, and uh, so I was like, oh yeah, throw the hide on, I'm fine, and took three steps, and I like I cannot breathe. <laughs> so nope, <laughs> yeah, that, that was two trips. <laughs> so I, I was humbled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, would you say that you as a regional biologist uh, are better at your job because you're a sheep hunter? Um, are there things that you've learned being in the field as a, I guess, a hunter that have helped you do your job? Yeah, I think I think it just gives you an intimate, you know, understanding watching wildlife. I don't think there's there's no better way to learn about it. You know, it, it gives you a different different perspective because if you, if you think about it as a biologist, like we're our field work is helicopter work. We're, we're up high. You're getting that big picture. You don't get that intimate, no, like that intimate relationship that you get when you're boots on the ground, you know, for, for an area. Like there's just, there's nothing like boots on the ground, spending time watching wildlife. And, and I think too, it just, you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that non-hunters don't care about wildlife persisting, like absolutely they do, but it's just, you know, it, it's just, you really, you really want wildlife to persist in abundance. Um, and I think, when, when you're a hunter and invested in that, it, it just, it becomes your, you b- live and breathe it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Region six is huge. Is it the biggest region um, like physically or is, is seven B compete with it? I, I'm just curious yeah. uh, geographically. Yeah, I think we are the biggest region. I we're oh gosh, we're basically like a third of the province. So it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it takes me like, well, two day drive to get up to Atlin really like it's, it's in the winter. Anyhow, it's a, 14 hour drive from Smithers here. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Now with regards to your region, what would you say some are some of the bigger challenges for sheep right now that you can, you kind of feel um, would be the, the biggest thing we need to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think climate change, you know, that those icing events there, they can just be absolutely devastating. And, you know, like they're, they're very naive from a disease uh, perspective. So just ensuring that, that, we don't, you know, have that interaction of disease come in. Um, that's critical. So those are, those are probably the two major things. I mean, there's obviously some other areas where, you know, we're just starting to detect, you know, there's just probably too much harvest pressure in certain areas. So might have to start to have consideration on what, what that might look like elsewhere. Um, yeah. So there's there's certainly more specifics, you know, at a kind of more local area, we have areas where we have super high Eagle, eagle densities and that obviously has a pretty big impact on lamb recruitment and things like that yeah 
So I hear this a lot, and I hear it from Bill all the time, actually, too, right? That eagles are, are killers of, of wild sheep and goats, too. They get hammered pretty hard. Yeah. Is this mostly anecdotal, or do you guys study this? Do you guys see it? Like, how does it – is it talking to First Nations? How, like, what's the experience there? Are you finding eagles on, on, on sheep? How do you guys – Where's that coming from, I guess? Yeah, so a bit of both. Um, you know, I've been on a survey um, and uh, there was an eagle sitting on two fresh lamb kills, like two. You're like, really? <laughs> and uh, so so just observation that way. Um, and then the other thing through through some of the research projects that we have, the collaring, there's been mortality investigations. So, you, you know, essentially the collar goes to mortality. You, you try to get there as quickly as you can. And, and through that, it's almost like a, a necropsy, a bit of an investigation on what was the cause of mortality. Um, so... Through that, we're, we're able to tell, you know, did, did it just die of disease? Did, was it, you know, was it just being like ate incidentally by an eagle or was it actually like a, an eagle predation? So, yeah. So we're starting to get a bit of that actual hard, hard data. So, and I guess these projects, so the Spitsisi coloring project, obviously the, um, the cross-border project with the Yukon, that's going to give you that data. You will, uh, and my understanding, I've seen the project report or the project prospectus, and it looks like there's a bunch of money in there for mortality investigation, right? So you guys get a caller, you're going to get out there as soon as you can and try and investigate it. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to probably, and, and again, we're still in the planning stages, working out those hard details with uh, with the Yukon, but proximity, they're they're much closer. So that'll be the land guardians from Carcross Tagish First Nations working with uh, the Yukon Biles. It's just much quicker for them to hop in the machine and get down to the study area unless we're already in the area. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a huge priority to try to get out as soon as, as we can on those mortalities. Yeah. And with a, a trans-border project like this, cross-border project, are there any jurisdictional issues? Or is it, if both sides are on board, it's not that big a deal. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, pretty straightforward. You know, you got to do two animal care applications, two permit applications, uh, things like that. But, I mean, when you're doing one, it's it's no worries. Um, but we're working together on those things. Like, I've got a call this week with with the vet and just kind of making sure we get whatever both jurisdictions need. And, and then it should be no worries at all. Mm-hmm. So with a project like this is there like a boilerplate where it's like okay there's these things have to happen or is it like you know you're just putting it together you're kind of envisioning what needs to be done and obviously there's some things like the permits all that of course that needs to be done so that that's pretty straightforward but a lot of the stuff do you you know do you do you call up uh, somebody and say oh just give me a give me a plan for a, a coloring project how does that work no it, we, we pretty much write the recipe you know a lot of us have been involved in a lot of other other projects you know myself with goat goat work some goat projects supporting the tackle river Tlingit. so it's i mean it, it, it's kind of like similar things that you need to do um the, the health sampling getting the collar on and then it's it's what you do with the data after and and often we're working with academia because uh as you can appreciate, a lot of us don't have a ton of time to dive in deep. And, and so, you know, bringing a master students on board, things like that, you just get those really detailed uh, analysis that we might not have time for. So it's, yeah, it's just kind of looking for opportunity um, to, to get more out of the information you're getting. Because, you know, from a management perspective, it's pretty high level. Um, but all that extra research just gives you those extra things that um, ultimately lead to better management. So, yeah. So we've seen a little bit of that on some of the other projects we've been involved in. Is that going to be the case? I don't think this first year you have a master's student plan, but are you planning one down the road? I think so. And, and that's part of the conversation that, um, you know, we'll have with the Yukon. But yeah, I kind of reached out to, to Bill, Bill Jax on this because he's kind of helped support and mentor a lot of uh, a lot of students. And we're onboarding a student this January. I think this January they're starting with a Spats Easy. And I'm like, you know, wouldn't this be great if, uh, if we could get another student in that lab to have two folks you know, there's a bit of overlap in, in the analysis, and so there could be efficiencies there. So, what I would like my wish list would be to, to onboard a student for, for for next year. So, yeah, it it's pretty cool. And actually, when I think about it, I think there's a lot of students out there, master students, that are doing this work right now for sheep, and not not necessarily all in BC. Some of them, it, you know, it's the territories, Sydney Goward, for example. Uh, but there's a lot of your different uh, work that's being done for wild sheep at the academia level. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, do you work at all with Adam Ford out of UBC Okanagan? Are you familiar with uh, Dr. Ford at all? I, I haven't worked with him. No, I've, I've certainly heard his name, but we've never worked together yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's reached out and he's, he's said like, we should have a sheep, um, uh, a, a chair effectively, uh, a doctorate, I guess I'm not, I'm butchering it a bit here. 
And uh, I was like, yeah, it's a great idea. But then he told me the price tag and then I had to reevaluate that because it's uh, to have an endowed chair for, for wildlife and for sheep specifically, it was, it was not cheap. I so. bet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, so magic wand for region six, if you could solve any problem, you could fix any herd. What is Crystal Chris going to fix tomorrow? She's going to call God and say, fix this problem. And it's going to sort all your woes out. What's that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be certainly, obviously, I think no mycoplasma over pneumonia entering Skeena region at all, <laughs> ever. Um, that, that would make me very happy. And if I could wave a magic wand and stop the icing events so that uh, there's good groceries out there for easily accessible groceries for the sheep, that would make me very happy as well. Um, those would be my two top things, I guess. But I could probably go on forever. Cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, just out of curiosity, um, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there has been a disease event in Region 6 in sheep for mycoplasma of pneumonia. Is that correct? No, we did have a, a potential uh, positive um, or a suspect one that came out. Gosh, this I, I want to say this was 2020 or 2021. So I, I actually think the Wild Sheep Society of BC had funded that at that time, but there was a whole bunch. So that kind of came from that 620. So that would be um, the Tottigan herd kind of area. Um, so they were able, uh, so Dr. Kylie Thacker and uh, the Tall Tan Guardians actually went out and I was supposed to be there, but there was a, yeah, the highway was shut down. So it didn't make it. Um, yeah. So they ended up uh, doing a whole bunch of swabs and everything came back negative. So, so no, um, nothing so far which is great. We've had a few other, you know, things come up. Um, some of the, you know, toxoplasma, um, pastorella, things like that, but not no, uh, no movie. Is there any domestic producers in the Skeena region? Gosh, there's a couple little hobby farms here and there, like in Atlin, I can think of a couple with, a, with a few, but no, not, not the same way that other regions deal with that. Yeah. Just, just small little hobby farms with goat and sheep kind of locally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, one thing I, I want to ask you is what can we, if we're out in hunting sheep in region six or just recreating, whatever the case may be, what can we do to help you do your job? And um, if we see something, if we're concerned, um, what should we do and who do we call? Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously the sheep and goat app is tremendous, you know, for entering in that, but I tremendously appreciate when folks take the time to give me a report after like, Hey, I spent five days out. I, you know, I saw X amount of ewes and lambs and just like general sense. Like, what are you seeing out there? You know, cause boots on the ground, like I say, it gives you a different perspective, a different, uh, I guess. Yeah. Just a completely different perspective, which is very beneficial. And the other thing is anything abnormal, like diseases, like, um, you know, if you're seeing contagious ectothyma, like, or, or for anything like that, you know, we have, we have had uh, incidents of that out there. Um, so, and, and, you know, I would say like, well, when I was out flying the tat, tat and chini, you know, we, we've ended up flying over a goat that was just dead. Like everything seemed completely fine with it, but what's going on. So just maybe, you know, waypoints and photos, you know, things like that, anything kind of abnormal, um, little notes like that are so helpful. Cool. Yeah. And that uh, sheep and goat app yeah. that, and I, th I think you guys were, Bill was involved with that. Region six was involved with developing that. That works for the entire province. You can use it for sheep anywhere yeah. and goats anywhere yeah. in the province. It is, yeah. it is great. Cool. Cause like um, one thing I'll say is we, we lack a lot of inventory for basically most of our region um, apart from a few little areas. So, you know, all that information is just, it, it just helps to build the full picture of what's going on. Right. Yeah. How, how does that work with regards to confidence? If you get sort of a hunter reported, you know, number and it completely contradicts everything that you have, you know, what's your confidence level in it and, and do you use that? So I would say like, obviously we can't take one piece of information. It's, it's just the same as like uh, the inventory is, is one snapshot in time. Like it's just one snapshot. And so it's that trend data you're looking for. It's just, it's, it's starting to tell that story and it's part of that story. And so if you're getting, you know, conflicting information, it's like, okay, well, maybe that prioritizes an area for an inventory ahead of another or, or things like that. So um, like I say, it's just part of figuring out the story, what's going on though, out there. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I think I've, uh, I, that's, that's what I have for questions for you. Greg, you got anything left for Crystal that you want to hit on? No, I think uh, covered most of it. Uh, oh, it's a little learning experience for me here. I'm not very familiar with Skeena area, so I've only been there a couple times. It's not that nice. Don't, you know, don't, don't tell your yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back on. And you know what would be really cool is right after you do your capture this winter and uh, when you get some downtime, it'd be really fun to chat with you and some of the things you're seeing on the landscape and what it was like to be on that. And, and we're really hopeful that we'll, you'll be able to share some of the stories from that and some of the pictures because that's just, um, you know, as you know, one of our uh, our members, Ben Barakoff, owns Canadian Wildlife Capture. He heard about the project. He's like, how can I get involved with that? There's just so much interest in this and yeah. it's really, really exciting. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had the pleasure of working with him um, before. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully working with him again. So, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Now, one last question for you, and this is honestly the most important one. Are you sheep hunting this fall or what? I'm not. <laughs> no, unfortunately, uh, my, my son's daycare closes for two weeks, so I got to uh, use my holiday time to, to hang out with him, which is awesome. But uh, I'm hoping next year. So, yep. How about your husband? Is he going? I'm hoping so. I'm hoping grandma and grandpa <laughs> want to hang out <laughs> with some some cute little kids and, and we can get out. Um, you know, one thing I will, I'll just quickly say is uh, I, I got in that car accident just before we got married, a month before, and our uh, our honeymoon was supposed to be a sheep hunt. And I, it, it was a heartbreaking. I, I couldn't do it because I, I couldn't wear my pack because my back was all messed up. So unfortunately, but, you know, time heals and keep working on it and hopefully we'll get out there next year. And, and becoming you know, right on. Coming up. I heard if you uh, call into work sick, sheep hunting is the perfect cure. Yeah, so. there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. Um, appreciate all you do for Wild Sheep and uh, just uh, look forward to the great work you're doing and look forward to hearing lots about the great projects you guys are doing in Region 6 this winter. Yeah, likewise. And, and thank you like tremendously for your support. Like I'm I'm so honored to, to be a part of the work and, and you guys like, wow, you're making it happen. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Awesome.